grab your sword, take out your Bible, turn it to Genesis chapter 24. In chapter 24, we're going to look at tonight a really large chunk of it, about 49 verses. In the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And as you look at this chapter, one begins to kind of ask some pretty serious questions. And these are questions that mankind has been asking for a very long time. What's more important, God's sovereignty or God's love? What's more important, God's predestination to election or God's care and concern, his plan of redemption? What's the Bible about? Is it about an all-powerful God enforcing his divine will? Or is it about his love relationship with a very flawed creation that he desires to love? What really is the story of the Bible? And here in in chapter 24, we find this very long and very poignant, very beautiful love story. And it is heartwarming. Several movies have been made out of it. Uh, I have several whole volumes on this one chapter. Is it just simply a story about how a man got his wife? Yeah, that's true. But it really is a chronicle. It's a single chapter about God's plan of redemption. And so we're going to break it into two parts. We'll have part one tonight, part two next Sunday night. And when you look at the book of Genesis, chapter one, which just so you can remind yourself, uh, we took two and a half months to cover chapter one in this series. Two and a half months. Because we took into account each step of creation and we talked about biology and we talked about astronomy and we talked about astrophysics and chemical evolution and all kinds of things that are of course parts of creation parts of what God did and what we have now that we can look at that we can take scripture and say well here's what God says he did is there any evidence that he did that and of course chapter one provides the backdrop for a tremendous amount of what we call the study of apologetics, defending our faith. There's only 31 verses there. There's 67 verses about the story of Rebecca, Isaac's wife. And I think there's a reason. And so would you join me? And we're going to read a little story tonight. We're going to take these first 49 verses uh, as one story, which I think is the intent. Father, thank you for this time in your word, and we pray now that you'd speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 in Genesis 24, and now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, whom by the way, we do not know his name who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord God of heaven and earth 
the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. And we're going to run through this whole story and highlight what I believe is a beautiful picture of God's plan for the church. Among whom I dwelt. But you shall go into my country and into my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the women would not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angels before you and he shall and for you he shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you then you will be released from this oath only do not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the servant took ten of the master's camels and departed, for all of his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. And behold, here I stand by a well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. And now let it be that when that young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac and by all this will know that you have shown kindness to my master by all this I will know and it happened before he'd finished speaking that Rebekah whom was born to Bethuel the son of Melchah the wife of Nahor Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder and now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And she had finished giving him a drink and said, I will draw water for your camels also until they've finished drinking. Now, to give you a sense of how much water that is, if a camel's been on any kind of journey at all, it's not uncommon for them to drink in excess of 40 gallons of water. That would be eight Home Depot buckets completely filled or 80 Home Depot buckets completely filled from a well, and I guarantee you it was not a five-gallon pitcher. So she's going to have to work a little bit to give these camels a drink. I'll draw water for your camels also until they've finished drinking. 
And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all of his camels, ten of them. And the man wondering at her remained silent. So as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrists, wearing ten, each weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And so she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. And moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and in his truth towards his master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. And now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We're going to get to know him a little bit. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. And so it came to pass that when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, when he'd heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, come in. Oh, blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. And then the man came to the house and unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with them. And food was set before them to eat. And he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. And so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he's become great and he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has. And now my master made me swear saying you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell but you shall go to my father's house and to my family And take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps a woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper you on your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. And you'll be clear of this oath when you arrive among my family For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand before the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes to draw the water and you say to her, please give me a little to drink, from your pitcher to drink and she says to me drink and I will draw for your camels also let her be the woman to whom the Lord has appointed my master's son any of you ever thrown out a fleece before the Lord that specifically 
kind of tough to go back on it once you've been that specific, isn't it? But before I'd finished finish speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder and she went down to the well and drew water and I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste to let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels a drink also. And so I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. And I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And so I put a nose ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrists and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who had led me on the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son and now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master tell me and if not tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left part one of this this epic story and you can see there's a lot of repetition as the story is being repeated as it's being spoken and then spoken back and so it's a reason for us taking such a large chunk it's a story that's enthralled readers for millennia as i said i I have entire books written on just this one chapter but when you look at it there's a lot more than meets the eye you're going to see the ministry of the father's trusted servant who are the father's trusted servants on this earth are us right who was the first of the father's trusted servants the one that the prophet isaiah calls the servant of the most high and since isaac really is a picture of christ because he's going to bear forth in essence the the lineage of abraham and we'll make it all the way to the children of Israel and pass it along through uh, the sons of Jacob, Um, we can see that this is really akin to the Lord Jesus hunting uh, this earth through his people for the bride of Christ. And so there's a bunch of similarities that we're going to look at uh, in our remaining time here in our study. And in fact, the symbolism here, you can see Abraham's seed and the promised Savior and the purity with which this all unfolds because more than anything else, Alex and I were talking back behind the, in the green room a little bit ago and you know when you talk to people about what the Bible is about, an awful lot of people put it in the category of this sovereign God who's kind of imposing his will on the entire universe. They focus in on God's power, his sovereignty. They focus in on his plan. And all of those things are absolutely true in scripture, by the way. God is sovereign and God does have a plan. And he did predestine us to be the elect. And he has foreordained before the foundation of the world many things. But really, when you read the book that we call the Bible, you see the backdrop of really a single thing, and that's man's redemption. And that happened so fast that from the time that Adam and Eve are created by God to their need for redemption, the first act of God recorded in scripture after the creation of the universe is the redemption of Adam and Eve, isn't it? They mess up and God fixes up. And he doesn't just do that because he's powerful and sovereign. 
He does that because fellowship has been broken with Adam and Eve. The story begins with God walking in the garden with them and talking to them in close fellowship. It doesn't begin with, well, Adam, you know I'm God, so let's get something squared away, right? You know, it doesn't begin that way at all. The story of mankind's time here on earth begins with a loving God in a lush garden walking with his friends. Loving on them would be another way to look at it. And so I think these 67 verses that we find in this chapter uh, as they relate to how Rebecca becomes Isaac wife, Isaac's wife is, is a beautiful picture of God's plan of redemption all encapsulated in a, in a single book. First thing we see in this is God's desire for sanctity and separation. When we get to the book of Deuteronomy, by the time we get to chapter 7, we're going to figure out that God is very serious about his people being holy. He's actually going to say, be ye holy, therefore, because I am holy. Not, you can play in the mud, I'm holy, do whatever you want, and it's going to be cool with me. No, God is concerned with his bride being a bride that is absolutely part of his family. And so the very first command here is I don't want you to take a bride for my son from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the people of the land who were pagans, who not only didn't honor God, they spent most of their time dishonoring God. And God says, look, they, you know, these may be some hot chicks there, but don't bring back no babe for Isaac, okay? I want you to bring back a woman whose heart and mind and body belongs to the Lord. That's exactly how he wants his bride, which is all of us, male and female. Sorry, guys, but you are the bride of Christ as well, as am I. His church is the bride. And we're not to be like the pagan Canaanites. That was the plan. You see, the law of Moses didn't permit Jewish men to do that. So if you read Deuteronomy 7, you'll see it. The same principle applies to us today. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, when we get to that letter on our Thursday night study, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? This bridal search. God says, I, I, want, you to be, I want you to be wed to righteousness. I, I don't want Isaac dipped in the world. It ought to be an encouragement. And if you're in that place in life where you're looking for a spouse, there's some pretty good stuff to lay hold of here for both you ladies and for you guys. What does the servant do? He wants only God's will. Amen? Only God's will. Not your will. Not whoever's got the most money. Not who's the best looking. None of those things. 
God's will for your life, for your spouse. That's what he wants for you as you select a spouse, and that's what he wants as you are part of his bridal entourage, the bride of Christ. You notice and see that this servant, first thing he does is stop and pray, amen? Seek the guidance of the Lord. Seek the guidance of the master. Can't tell you how many couples come in and, where did you meet? Oh, the bar. What was your first date? Well, we kind of messed up in the beginning and, you know. And again, that's not to condemn anyone. It's to say, if you want God's will, let me put it another way. If you want to catch trout, you need to go to a mountain stream or a mountain lake, a sewer pond, you will not catch them in. Just saying. God wants us fishing in the right kind of water, amen? Can't be fishing in the world if you want to catch something that's from the Lord. And you better be throwing the right bait, too, amen? You have to, you can see it in the life of the servant. We have to be willing to just obey. You know, there are times when we just simply need to do what God tells us to do. Now, I get a lot, of, a lot of times, especially with young people, say, well, you know, I just you know, I don't quite know. It's like, look, if God's word says it, just do it. Believe it. He hasn't messed up ever. He's not going to start now. And we have to be alert to the things that God is doing. Isaac is actually the next living link in that chain of blessing that ultimately is going to culminate with the Savior Jesus. So he, he needs to be where he's supposed to be. So whatever happens to Isaac is of utmost importance to God's great plan of redemption, of salvation. And so this, this chapter, as you kind of look at it unfold, yes, it's history of a man's wife being found by the servant. And remember that that was a cultural thing that did happen then there were arranged marriages the way things are going in our world i'm not so sure it's not a bad idea again because it seems like a lot of people don't do such a great job anymore of that so maybe god's on to something here but it gives a, a, a so much beyond history and it delves into the area of theology or the science or the understanding of god Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 22, it, it gives us a picture of the heavenly father actually acquiring a bride for his son, doesn't it? The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. That's what it says. One day we're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the lamb as the bride of Christ. Amen. And the church is, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, actually compared to the bride of Christ as a, as a chaste virgin betrothed to one husband. And so that's pictured here in Genesis chapter 24. As you look at the story as it unfolds in the New Testament of the bride of Christ, you see, you see this work of the Holy Spirit working in the world, calling out to those who will be married to the king, amen? And it's shown here in Genesis 24. And so all of these things are a picture of Christ and his church. 
How God worked in the one life is how God works really in all of our lives. He's called all of us to be holy. He's called all of us to be selective. He has called all of us into a relationship with him alone. He's a jealous God. He's not willing to share you with anyone else. He wants you for himself. And he doesn't want you from the, to continue in the ways of the world. So he selected you out of the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. Amen? These things that we've seen in, Gen- in, in John chapter 15, 16, and we'll uh, even hear a little bit of it in Jesus' high priestly prayer in chapter 17. And so this whole thing is God's plan. Abraham now, get this, is 140 years old. He's not a young guy. And he's actually going to live another 35 years. He's going to make it to 175. So he's lived a a few lifetimes uh, according to our current lifespan. But his great concern before he died was he'd have a wife for his only son Isaac. And so Abraham makes him swear, the servant swear three basic things. Don't select my wife from among the Canaanite women. Choose her from among the family, Abraham's relatives. And don't take Isaac back to his former home, which is the world. Gee, I wonder what that sounds like. Sounds exactly like his principles for marriage in the New Testament, and it sounds exactly like what he expects for his church, doesn't it? God had guided and blessed Abraham for 65 years, and he's not going to forsake him now. It's that simple. And so when the master spoke, in this case pictured in Abraham's life, the master speaks, the servant listens. What does the servant do? He immediately goes and does it. Amen? Be ye therefore doers of the word, not just hearers only deceiving yourself. You see, the picture is really, really clear. What God was trying to communicate even in the book of Genesis, that he was serious about us obeying what he says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your path. Amen? That's a promise. But you have to start with, in that particular set of verses, trust in the Lord. Amen? Not kind of, well, I don't really, you know, God, I wish you hadn't have said it that way because I, you know, I'm, you know, I think I can marry this guy and I'll help him become a Christian. That is called a recipe for disaster. Do not select for yourself a bride from the Canaanites. So as the body of Christ, we're, we're not supposed to be yoked to people who are not God's kids. Because it creates a two-headed hydra. You, you've got one head going one way that's following Christ, and the other head's going the other way because it's following after Belial or unrighteousness of the world. That's why it's so deadly. It's not that God, God's going, well, you know, there's these guys. and don't pick. No, he's, he's doing that because it's righteous to think that way. And the bride in, in this case was going to be the father's love gift to his son. He wasn't sending the servant out, you know, 
go find, you know, go find somebody that's going to make Isaac's life miserable. He's saying, I, I want my son to, to be married to the absolute best that you can possibly find. And so he's saying, look, this is my plan. And unless you hear the plan of the Lord and do the plan of the Lord, then, then you ultimately are, are not going to see the blessings that God wants to put in your life. I want to see and show you how the Trinity's at work here. In, in the master, the master had the plan, or the father had the plan, right? Abraham has the plan of how this is going to work. The son agreed to die, didn't he? Isaac? The master had the plan. The son agreed to die. And the Holy Spirit is at work in the selection of the bride. So even here in the Old Testament, you see the Trinity at work. And by the way, you can see this all revealed also in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter one. You see God the Father working in the first three or four verses there, and then you see the Son work in verses seven to 12, and then you see the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. So God has always had the same methodology whereby he works. But what he's really reminding you and I of is one day, Jesus is going to have the joy of presenting us to his father. And it's pictured here in the Old Testament. Because the spirit in this world is witnessing through you. And just exactly as the book of Jude reminds us, it says, now unto him who is able to keep you, that would be the bride, from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's the whole thing the servant's doing. So Jesus, being the first of the servants, leaves us. He who desires to be great among you shall become the servant of all. Amen? Amen? So Jesus shows us what it looks like to be a servant and then he says, okay, you guys are servants empowered by the Holy Spirit. And each time we go and tell someone else about the the gospel, tell someone else the story of redemption, we're actually going out and finding yet another bride for the Lord Jesus, amen? That's what happens. That's why the final part of this is the witness that we have to the world. Abraham, not Isaac, neither one of them are going out. Abraham's favorite name in this was my master. He's just simply the master in this picture. And the Lord is simply the master of all things. We're his servants. We're witnessing for him. We're on a mission in essence. And that mission succeeds or it fails based on whether we carry out the plan of the master. It's not on you. We're saved by grace. We witness by grace. We're motivated by grace. And so here, just exactly as Romans 14 says, you know, I'm I'm going to, as I live, each one of us is going to give an account to God. I'm going to have to go back to my father and say, here's what I did while I was on this earth. I went looking. I went sharing. I, I shared the gospel with people. And that's going to take you and me acting by faith, just as 
the servant does in this story and, and acting on behalf of the son and on behalf of the master. So in this case, the master Abraham being God the father, the son Isaac being Jesus Christ and we as his church being the servants going out and finding those who will be married to the, to the son. Uh, we join the, the Lord in that work that we call evangelism. And in that sense, just as scripture says, the bride was actually hand-selected. Because God said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. If you'll go do that, then I'm going to bring people to you. Isn't it interesting when you share the gospel, sometimes you just find those people, it's like, man, I've known all my life that I needed to give my life to Jesus. I just didn't know how to do it. And then you share the gospel with them and boom. It's like, I'm in. I'm always amazed at the power of the simplicity of the gospel. Now I want to give you a little caveat, a little careful warning here. Because we do see, much like we see in Judges chapter 6, in the life of Gideon. That Gideon said he'll he'll put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor and there's dew on the fleece only is dry on the ground. And I'll know that you uh, will save Israel by my hand as you have said. So there's a fleece there. But there's a problem with us and fleeces. And let me tell you what it is. We set the parameters of the fleece most of the time. And it is in the motivation and the purity of the fleece that we have the problem. It's not that God isn't speaking. God isn't working. God isn't answering. It's like we've kind of predestined the answer by setting the fleece as something we know God's going to do or not do. And so rather than being neutral in in how we establish what that fleece is, we, we kind of fudge a little bit. So be careful about throwing out fleeces. And I've had some I've had some crazy ones. I mean I literally have talked to people, yeah, we were laying on our lawn and we saw the Hawaiian Islands in the clouds and we knew God told us to go to Hawaii and start a church. Everybody's told to go to Hawaii in the see. Who wouldn't want to go to Hawaii, you know? Now, if you'd, have, if you'd have seen Cambodia or something up there, that might have been a different story. But it's like, yeah, like God sent you to the beach. Probably not. And by the way, they did go and they came back and it did not work out well. Be careful. This whole event, if you look at it, was nothing but a, a walk of faith. And you can't take the faith part out of it. If your fleece removes faith, then then you've got got an issue. And I want you to know here, and and notice the criteria that the servant has for selecting the bride. And it sounds almost exactly like Proverbs 31. Buff and beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. This, this, is a, this is a beautiful woman who's extremely industrious, who is about her father's business, who is moving the right direction, doing the right things. She's not sitting around doing nothing. That's what the Lord wants for us, both for, for you ladies as women of God, but also for us men. 
We're, we're supposed to be actively engaged in our Father's business, doing what he's called us to do. And that means that we need to have the beauty, the holiness of the Lord, and we also need to be able to feed and water 10 camels, even if it means drawing 85 gallon buckets out of a well that you've got to throw a rope down, put a pitcher in it, and pull it up a gallon at a time. So be careful that you have godly parameters. What does this do in our lives if we'll do things this way? And I think this is the the point that I want to leave you with tonight. If you do things God's way, several things happen. Number one, you stay out of trouble. Amen? You know, I've never gotten in trouble doing things God's way. Never. I have never legitimately got in trouble doing things God's way. And where that more comes into play than than anywhere else is in the things that God says no to in his word. You know, so very often we try and push the envelope. God's gracious and God's kind and he covers our mistakes with his grace and his kindness. That is absolutely true. The unpardonable sin is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, not having a beer. Not getting involved in a relationship you shouldn't be in. Those things are all forgivable by God's grace. But they sure cause trouble. Amen? So God's saying, look, the reason I told you these things, the reason I set these parameters is because on the other side of them is trouble and I don't want you in trouble. And so the servant in this case follows the master's direction and it helps him stay out of trouble and it's certainly true in marriage the other thing that you can see here is that when we walk this way everyone takes notice the rest of the servants are watching what's going on here and here comes this guy and he's watching this beautiful woman at the well drawing water and and it wasn't like he was out there wolf whistling at her He's actually observing her character, and while he's observing her character, others are observing him, observing her character. Not just going, wow, she's awesome. The world is watching you. The world's watching me. The world's watching us as a church. And we want them to take notice the way we live our lives. Another thing, true character in people that are maybe ill-motivated is revealed when you do things God's way. If you immerse yourself in the world's way, sometimes you don't see what you need to see because you're so caught up in what they're doing and doing the wrong thing that you yourself become a little bit prejudiced to the truth. You, You can't see it. It's like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of kind of compromised in this area of my life because the people I hang around with are compromised in their life. And so in this case, because they're acting in holiness, they're acting in righteousness, they're doing what God's asked and said, you know, there's something up with this dude Laban. There's something not quite right. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the help of the Holy Spirit to kind of steer us around those things and to show us the right way. 
It's that very principle we see there in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit, will, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You see, one of the things that happens when you do things God's way is you have that built-in GPS guides you around. It's God's positioning system, amen? It's like, nah, you probably don't want to go over there. You want to go over here and that's a little bit kind of about the wrong way. So why don't you just move over here a little bit? That's the Lord working in your life. That's the helper that we just saw in John 15. And then finally, what we understand is the best is yet to come. This is just the bridal search. This isn't even the wedding yet. This is the effort that God is putting into selecting the the bride for his son. And so while we have this wonderful life that we live here on earth that admittedly has tribulation and trial from time to time the best is yet to come the wedding's still ahead for all of us amen now i i can tell you i've done a lot of weddings and there's a couple things that i can tell you about most weddings in a general sense it's the one time in parents lives where they actually are legitimately temporarily insane Because normally cautious people who budget and just do, you know, they're kind of, they're a little bit on the cautious side and, you know, they they don't want to do anything too extravagantly. They're they're just kind of, but when it comes down to their daughter's wedding, oh my, no expense spared. Imagine what God the Father is doing, preparing the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven right now with unlimited resources. The best is yet to come. I've been to some crazy bridal receptions. You know, to where you're, you're sitting there after the wedding, you're going, boy, I hope somebody had two homes because they probably sold one to do this. Amen. <laughs> There's going to be no expense spared when we meet our bridegroom. Heaven is going to be in view. The servant's job wasn't to argue or bribe or, you know, try and make a deal. It's like, look, you got this good-looking girl in your house, and, you know, I'll give you... You know, 16 camels and a couple of donkeys and a few shekels of silver. You know, you, you, you can kind of connive your way into things from time to time if you're not careful. But by faith, he throws out a fleece and says, look, if she draws that pitcher and draws up water and I ask her for a drink and she gives it and then she offers to do work, that's the woman. God acts on behalf of our very best at all times in our lives. Amen? And we can see it here in the story of the selection of Rebecca for Isaac. Amen?